So welcome, Jeff. Uh, we're back here on the Daily Evolver. And wow, when we looked at the news this morning, which we did, uh, and we've been looking at it all week, uh, certainly a lot going on. And, and certainly no clarity about any of these things. I mean, you look at the Middle East, you look at what's going on in this country economically with is the government going to shut down? What's the, you know, the debt ceiling? All that stuff pushed the story that we really want to focus on today off the front page, which is kind of interesting. And that's what's happening in Japan, which is continuing to happen. Earthquake, tsunami, nuclear problem still. Right. And all of the ramifications of that. So I'm really glad that we're going to kind of bring this back onto the integral front page this morning and talk about the nuclear. So let's get into Japan. So what are you seeing there? It's a very interesting time to be alive hmm. and that it's a good week to be an integralist. And it always is in the sense that we make it our business to try to see the larger patterns of what's going on. And that there's always a lot going on. I go back to what you said there at the beginning, is that as evolutionaries, as integralists, as people who are consciously trying to take residency in second-tier consciousness, we do see, it's a, it's, a, it's a change in orientation where we see that these things should be happening. Not in the sense that they're good, although they often lead to, crises lead to good outcomes often. I mean, we see that in ourselves, is that we grow under crisis situations in our own therapeutic, you know, endeavors or whatever. And that's true also of, you know, cultures and the world at large, is that we fail forward, you know, we muddle forward, that crises lead to, you know, restructuring of thinking, that often just time, this is an evolutionary basic principle, if you, to use an, an earlier example of Japan, is that Japan was literally bombed into submission in a way that we can hardly imagine in the end of World War II. That we, not, we dropped the atomic bombs, two of them, but also had done uh, significant firebombing of their wooden cities. So they were just taken to their knees, as was Germany. And you look that within 10, 15 years of that, they were burgeoning world powers and now are in the top five economies of the world, which we can contrast to Great Britain, who actually won the war and, you know, didn't have to reinvent themselves. So, you know, you don't want to root for tragedy, but you want to see what is it the tragedy and crises reveal mm -hmm. that actually is useful and evolutionarily potent. And cleans out. I think we see this in our own lives when something challenge comes up, what sort of the purification of it. Yes, it's awful. Yes, it's tough to get through, but it, it cleanses in a certain sort of way. As you say, we always say nothing is going to be the same from here on out. And you go, good thing in a way, yeah. because nothing will be the same and it isn't anyway. Yeah. But this really clears the way for whatever the next chapter is and yeah. all the rest of it. So that's the... And we'll see with Japan because Japan's an interesting case. The Japan actually probably has a pretty strong, I don't know if it's center of gravity, but they have a pretty strong postmodern um, view. And they, they were sick to death of militant nationalism. They were completely purged of that. And so you see that in the history since World War II, name one great charismatic Japanese leader. They were political leader. They were allergic to that. And they still have some of that sort of malaise. And, you know, they were great on the, in the um, you know, industrial and, and commerce and all of that. But politically, they are, you know, kind of in a malaise. 
and the kids were alienated and you know all of that stuff that we hear about Japan. Their population shrinking, their economy's been in the doldrums for 15 years, and you know they've had four governments in the last I don't know a couple of years, whatever it is. It's just it's just a dysfunctional political system. It's an interesting point about the leaders not coming forward or at least culturally not being encouraged. Because one thing is we stand from Westerners and we look at this nuclear thing melting down and they're citing rules that the committee came up with about who's to do what. And you go, excuse me, what rules, right? I mean, the thing is about ready to melt down and who knows where this is going to go. At least for you guys, it's going to be bad. But we were maybe longing for somebody, yes. an individual to step yes. up and say, I'm taking charge. Here's the deal. There's where we're yes. And we're still not seeing that. Absolutely. And you can see, as I said, that I think my my. A theory would be Japan got a belly full mm-hmm. of that, and so they have antibodies to that. They're not going to naturally re- be receptive to that politically. And what they have created instead is a bureaucracy. Bureaucracy is good. Um, bu- bureaucracy is the next level up from you know clan patronage, that sort of thing, where you know the, the, it all depends on who you know and what pull you have. So bureaucracy becomes a sort of mindless, if you well, not mindless, but um, you know, a, a just egregiously fair system of, you know, moving information, that sort of thing. So, the, you know, that gets calcified. That's part of the, And that may be what is, begins to be broken in Japan to the good uh, because they see that that bureaucratic mindset was not adequate to this problem. Didn't serve them. It did not serve them. Mm-hmm. And then you have, you know, an enneagrammatic kind of mm-hmm. uh, view, and you could say that Japan, all countries, like all of us, have certain personality types. It's the strangest thing, yeah. you know. And Japan's probably a little on the one side. Mm-hmm. They're precise. They're not, you know, not naturally emotional. Uh, they like things to be in order. And you realize, in some ways, that's what was extra scary about this nuclear power situation there, was that it's like, that can happen in Japan, I could see that that would happen in, you know, Azerbaijan or the Soviet Union where, you know, (laughs) poor Chernobyl was, you know, the great example of Soviet engineering, uh, badly designed, built and run. Uh, But that's not what you would expect from the Japanese. So that's, you know, that's extra scary. And so, you know, we see that as we as we look at the bigger patterns, we see that. So first of all, humanity is we're wired. Human beings are wired for danger. It's interesting that what actually happened in Japan were three things. Yes. There was an earthquake, a 9.0 earthquake. That's a real big earthquake, out, you know, a couple hundred miles out to sea. I mean, 100-year-plus tsunami like they hadn't seen in centuries, and this nuclear power station there. What we also know is that the tsunami and earthquake killed about 30,000 people, and the nuclear situation has not killed anybody. That we know yet. Of. we don't know. But what is galvanizing the attention of the world is the thing that actually is meaningful, you know, in terms of me and what my own, you know, how's that affect me? And we can see earthquakes and tsunamis, and it's like we, you see a car wreck, and you think, poor bastards, you know, there but for the grace of God, or there but for the roll of the die, go I. And it's kind of like you do what you can, forget about it, whatever. And, you know, you can see there's not a lot of, uh, media attention on the recovery from the tsunami. But the nuclear thing, it uh, affects me because I have a nuclear power plant in my neighborhood or whatever. So I just mentioned that as just something to just realize about human nature and the, the, a basic selfishness 
that is not unintelligent, uh, but, you know, that's the egocentric part of all of us, is how does this affect me? And so we see that, if you look at the bigger picture, you see that in the sort of response to this, that we have typically, and this is very predictable, that we have the regulatory and the bureaucracy of Japan kind of underplaying. You see the world media generally overplaying, uh, and you know the clouds of radiation and that sort of thing. And um, so th- those are just natural kinds of affinities that these two groups have. And as integralists, we want to notice that and not be necessarily unfriendly to either one, knowing that both of them has a, have a piece of the truth. Uh, what we're seeing now, and I'm just noticing this in the last few days, David, is like in the New York Times yesterday, an article about, okay, so after all of the hype and all of the downplaying and all of the this and all of the that, what do we actually know about nucle- you know, the, the um, dangers of nuclear radiation? And it's um, a very sober article that basically what it says is that there are, in terms of the actual calculations that we're used to, and we got a lot of them from World War II and following the Japanese who were exposed to radiation. Plus, you know, we've been used, there's a lot of radiation in the world, and there's a lot of radiation and flying and medicine and that sort of thing. That we have an idea of how much radiation actually creates how much sickness per thousand population. Mm-hmm. And those are, you know, interesting, good statistics. And they would show that based on this, that there's you know, probably some people will get sick. Who knows whether they will die, whatever. Certainly the people that went in to try to deal with and still are yeah. trying to deal with at the site, yes. the workers. That, yes. Yeah. But, and then there's another school of thought that says that we have to pay attention that actually any increase in radiation does increase a risk of public health. And these are, you know, as integralists, we want to be careful to give both of these views I mean, that's one of the things that I think is really powerful about integral thinking in in general, is that we have a basic assumption that both of these views, or really all views, have some piece of the truth and are probably missing a bigger picture, and that there is a bigger truth or a bigger reality that can be perceived by accommodating both of those views. And I think there are some media now, and I think the New York Times is one of them, that are are becoming very, very good at having what I would call basically an integral journalism, that they'll go one way or the other, and, you know, the winds of history and karma are strong. But they seek to right themselves in a way that delivers multiple points of view. So this is an ongoing story. You know, is the water leaking into the sea? It is. That they contained it? We don't know. Day by day by day, we can feel a lot of fear, and there's a lot of extra fear. There's, this is another thing that's important, and it's, it's from an integral point of view. It's squarely in the upper left quadrant, in the left-hand quadrants in general. That is, the, our own interiors and, and our mutual interiors, our culture, is that there's a high dread-to-risk ratio about nuclear power. Mm-hmm. You know, we have gotten, you know, I think 6% of the world's energy comes from nuclear power in the United States, France, Japan, it's, I think the United States, it's like 20. France, it's 50. Japan, somewhere in between there. And they're all over the place. There are over 100 um, nuclear power plants and about another 60 being built. You know, what we know is that nuclear power has actually been humming along for 50 years 
We've had two significant, three significant accidents now, Three Mile Island, Chernobyl, and this one. And we realize that, you know, we have to factor in that dread-to-risk ratio, that there's just something that is extra scary about nuclear power because, first of all, it was, it was introduced to humanity uh, in the form of two bombs. And we hear, you know, about the nuclear explosion at uh, the Japanese plant. There wasn't a nuclear explosion. Uh, and there was an explosion from heat and inability to cool. Radiation clouds, yes, both in the water and the air. Was there a meltdown? No. I mean, these are things that we want to be sort of precise on because these are, um, these are just the actual reality and of what emotional. happened. We, we and get, it's absolutely we emotional. Our, you know, our anxiety come up if somebody says, you know what? Absolutely. That, that reactor, which we've seen over and over and over again, throughout our lives if that melts down that's bad yes that's what just happened as you said it, it, actually different versions of that i mean yes no yes. not but not certainly not the same as chernobyl which was a you know right. a major yeah no. so there's an argument to continue with nuclear power there's an argument to not and i you know as i think as integralists we want to deeply be friendly to both of those arguments right. and that there is uh, in so doing we can see like for instance i think it's perfectly clear that China particularly is going to continue building nuclear plants. They got another 30, you know, being built. They halted their construction and did, they're doing some rethinking on it, which is absolutely right for them to do, but they're going to continue to do that. When you get into the advanced democracies, I'm not so sure because, you know, you could actually sort of think that, do the calculation that, yeah, nuclear power is worth it, when you compare it to, you know, even the, the Gulf of Mexico, 11 people died on that rig. The cost of coal and the burning of oil in terms of even pollution and mining and fracking and strip mining and all of this stuff is enormous and dwarfs the danger that we have actually seen from nuclear power. But when you get into advanced democracies, there's that not in my backyard thing that is very, very powerful. And so it's like we could make the calculation that it's worth it, but I'm not sure. We haven't built a nuclear power plant in the United States in 30 years, you know, since Three Mile Island. So I'm not thinking that that's going to be where, you know, countries like us and, you know, the more developed countries are going to go. I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. Well, and the argument that was trotted out pretty quickly because the nuclear industry, you know, got a lot of people on television. So did the opponents. This is sure. the conversation about what does this mean and see, I told you, and you know, all that. The argument from the nuclear power thing is these are older plants. Yes, and a lot of the ones in the United States are exactly the same, so on. We have better ways of dealing with this. And you would expect that technology would continue to evolve because nobody really likes the fact that you still have this waste problem and all the rest of it. I mean, it's not like anybody's really trying to make that go away, although, you know, we still have the problem when you look at that in right. terms of nuclear power. But one of the things that you might discern out of this. Let's see where we build them, not whether we're going to or not. You look at California, there are two, uh, one in, uh, just outside of San Luis Obispo and the other one in San Onofre, right. and exactly the same thing. Big offshore earthquake, big tsunami could have the same problem. So you say, well, all right, build nuclear power, but let's discern a little bit and say, maybe not there. And there are passive systems, you know, where it doesn't require any active pumping of mm -hmm. coolant and that are presumably much, much, much safer. Yeah. 
There are nuclear batteries, which are sort of mini nuclear reactors, much like you'd see in a submarine, mm -hmm. that can be buried, mm -hmm. you know, 100 feet into the ground and would power an airport, mm -hmm. for instance. There's those kinds of, there's new right. technology right. of all kinds, but those interior quadrants, that extra dread to risk ratio that comes with nuclear, it's just something to pay attention mm -hmm. to. And pay attention to in our own mind bodies. Right. You know, we think of this Dr. Strange Lovian view that uh, radiation is something that was invented in a horrible scientist. And so radiation is part of life. It's actually, from an evolutionary uh, standpoint, it's kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. It's unstable atoms mm -hmm. that are trying to find, you know, <laughs> some, you know, they're just trying to find, uh, you know, some stability right. and they're throwing out particles and waves. You know, it was interesting, the New York Times article yesterday, it's like there's different kinds of particles, there's different kinds of waves, some of them we inhale, some of them, once we get them in our bodies, they bounce around and just wreak havoc, other ones pass through us, other ones are stopped by a wall or a sheet of paper. You know, it's, uh, it's interesting to see what this radiation actually is and to, and to have some, you know, even a meditation around it and to just become you know, I don't know, friendly, but to become more aware of it as an actual substance of life, you know, yeah. anyway. Yeah. One of the things that was interesting to me, just because we talk about integral claims and we talk about if we make these claims that, say, postmodern, which would have these concerns that you're talking about, about a modern technology like nuclear and say, oh, my God, it's, you know, it's got all these problems and so on, that one of the things I thought was interesting to me was that the story, the apocalyptic story around nuclear and radiation, although it tends to be when you get up into postmodern and you start looking at the, you know, your total footprint and your costs and say, I don't like waste and all that, it tends to be a postmodern story. I mean, it's not so much modern is going to say, yeah, there are risks, but I mean, hey, lights are on, right? I mean, come on, we got progress here, right? Yep. Yep. The story was, what can you do if there actually had been a radioactive cloud that came? And I can't remember the name of it, but it, there is a something that you can buy that actually fills up your thyroid with iodine. Right, right. That is, but gives you some protection because it's the radioactive stuff that gets into the thyroid that's really going to kill you. Right. Right. Two days after this started happening, right. This is before actually most of the problems. That substance was sold out worldwide. Right. I mean, even in my family that pays attention to those kinds of things, whereas five years ago, that would have been a fringe story. Oh, you can do these things right. that somehow this has now become a story where many, many, many more people. So I'm just going, well, is that proof that postmodern is expanding? Probably. And are they aware in a different sort of way than they were even five years ago of what these risks are and what can I do about them and all the rest of it? But it totally caught everybody off guard mm -hmm. that you figured two days after this, probably not too many people know about this. Maybe I can get that so sold out. Yeah. It was gone in the minute this happened. Yeah. Right. So to me, it was sort of like an interesting proof that maybe postmodern, as we say, is expanding, that there are more and more people that would have those concerns. And then you would see those purchasing habits and say, well, that's who's fueling that. Right. Yeah. I think part of what's new about all of this is just the unbelievable proliferation of information mm -hmm. and media. So you can find if you, you know, I have my sort of lefty friends who pour over their lefty blogs uh, and their anti-nuclear, you know, they continue to reify their own point of view. Mm -hmm. and, and there's no end to the possibility of doing that. Mm -hmm. I have my scientific righty friends who are like, you know, more pro-nuclear mm -hmm. who do the same. There's, you know, no shortage of information. 
And this is where I think integralists have to be conscious about having a ability to drink from both of those wells and to see that both of those views are coming out of structures of consciousness that are actually pretty well defined. You know, postmodernists have a natural antipathy to modernism. That's not a bad thing. It's inappropriate. It's what postmoderns learned about correcting the mindless ravages of modernity, even though at the same time modernity has created tripled lifespans and the indoors, you know, things like that. Uh, big things. But, you know, typically every stage pushes off of the previous one by in part demonizing it, which is why you see so many people at Integral uh, demonizing green or demonizing postmodernism. Postmodernism is doing its job. We just as integralists have to factor it in that they're coming from a point of view, however intelligent, is partial. They have an extra sensitivity and extra receptors and antenna to the dangers of modernity, from the poisons to the you know raping of the earth and all of that or stuff. Or building one of these things on an earthquake fault. Or building I mean, one of the, yeah, the mindlessness of that. You know, post-modernity is doing its job by pointing that out. Now, it has its limits and you know it can become kind of have its own sort of uh, p- politically correct worldview that you know I know what I can say at a Boulder dinner party and what I can't for instance you know because there's a certain liberal company line that has to be towed and I know that also when I go back to Pennsylvania to my family of origin that it's a very very different world uh, and a very different mindset and um, I like it too. You know, I, I get. I, it's fun to to see the intelligence of both of them. Right. So, if you were asked, you Jeff, tomorrow, I mean, if there was a vote to be taken, say, look, they, you know, this has all happened. We now need to make some decisions about how to go forward. I mean, you're talking about discerning this on a number of different levels, and that there's no black and white answer to it. But still, we all have to make decisions moving forward. And like we said, gee, do you think we ought to build any more of these things on an earthquake fault? Probably not a good right. idea. Probably yeah. not a good idea. Now, building them at all, that's something else, yeah. because now we get into energy and, right. and what else are you going to do? And as you said, the risks from coal and oil can be equally, if not more, uh, right. damaging. Right. So where do you sort of, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but where would you come down in terms of what would be your discernment about yeah. that? Yeah. Well, it, first of all, I would say that it would be deeply unsatisfying to all ideologues. Okay, because this is what I think Integral does, and I actually think this is what Obama does as a, as a leader, is that he actually, rather than saying this is the way things should go, he's more of a conductor of the energies, like a maestro, if you will, that is actually seeing that there's this energy, there's this view, there's this place, there's this time, there's this country. You know, we don't have a lot of control over what China's going to do. They're going to build presumably smarter and safer nuclear power plants. Let's hope they do. Uh, in our country, I think if I were Obama to push for nuclear right now, probably not a good idea. There are other new energies that are coming online that we want to be aware of. Time magazine has an article, cover article, on this, these great oil shale deposits mm-hmm. that have enough energy for the next century. And mm-hmm. that Pennsylvania and the mid-Atlantic states are the Saudi Arabia mm-hmm. of natural gas, basically. Yes. And there's, of course, these downsides of how they mine it that, you know, have flames coming out of people's faucets. And, you know, so as an integralist, you realize that actually, and this is, I think, a profound realization it was for me, and that is there are no good options. There are 
least bad options. There are things that you have. And that actually, this is the way it's supposed to be, mm -hmm. I guess, mm -hmm. because this is the way it is mm -hmm. and always has been, is that we make these choices, but we make them ever more intelligently. When I think of the education that has gone on with the world population, not everybody, but certainly the elites who basically run things, of what's going on in Japan, it's been an enormous education. You know, uh, there's, it's been interpreted at the stage at which it's received, but there's been enormous information flow and judgment and that's one of the great things that I think is so evolutionarily potent about the media situation right now is that you actually can be kind of an expert on these things simply because you can touch in with multiple perspectives. And as an integralist, you actually have some understanding of how these patterns of perspective arise and you can factor them in. So I, I think that we'll continue to muddle through, and we have to make decisions uh, one by one. I think it would take some crisis for the American people to uh, go for uh, a nuclear power plant. The one thing that I would say that we can be relatively, take some confidence in, is that the human race is not going to idly sit back and watch the lights go dim. This is where I take some issue with the folks who see a collapse and that sort of thing. Are we going to have um, situations like we had in 2008 of collapse, economic collapse? Uh, yes. These are survivable. There probably be worse ones than that coming. But are we going to get to the point where we are, you know, see roving bands of white people in Boulder? Uh, I doubt it. I think that we will we'll figure it out. And if history is any guide, we'll have some breakthrough, perhaps in fusion energy, mm -hmm kind of over time creates a natural way of a beautiful way of creating energy that yeah and i'm glad you raised that because we didn't talk about innovation because that's the one always yeah. another x factor in all of these historical perspectives is that and you can make this case firmly is that people are projecting forward and not seeing what was actually going to happen right. And so one of those is innovation, is that right. it can change in a moment. We could yeah. get up tomorrow morning and somebody could have figured out how to make fuel out of water. Yeah, they exactly. Could. And this is where it pays to read popular science, mm -hmm. David. Mm -hmm. I mean, that magazine that I loved as a kid, and, you know, and you know, they do blue sky things and they're kind of overly optimistic and I get that and I factor that in. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's a lot of amazing research that just doesn't make the news that, you know, like solar paint, solar... Mm -hmm. Uh, shingles on houses, uh, the, the amazing acreage of uh, flat-roofed office buildings that to create gardens. and th It's one thing that typical analysis doesn't factor in, and that is that we not only don't know, but we can't know what's next in terms of innovation. But if we look historically, you know, look at the lifestyles we've created. Uh, it used to be that we were trying to find the drier cave you know right. i mean we we've we've shown some ability to create intelligent systems that create more intelligent decent lives and i think we can trust that that will continue mm -hmm. well thanks as always it's been interesting on the daily evolver and we'll uh, see you next week my great pleasure thanks david